Thank you, Brother Dean. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles this evening, if you would turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And um, appreciate this opportunity. If, again, if you're visiting tonight, you haven't heard preacher before, I encourage you to come back and hear him. And uh, I'm a poor replacement, but I'm, I'm the person that's here. So it's what you get. In Luke chapter 14. Luckily, it's God's Word that's important, not the person behind the pulpit. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14, and uh, we're going to read through a, a portion of Scripture here, uh, and uh, we'll expound on it a little bit. Uh, but really, I want to start this evening by asking a question. And the question tonight that I would pose to you is, what's the difference between joining a club and being an active member? What's the difference between joining a club? Somebody shout something out, or raise your hand. We'll do this decently in an order. Uh, uh, between joining a club and being an active member. You're a part of it, okay? And, and that really, you know, you can be, well, something more descriptive, all right? How about another word? Service, all right? That's more the adjective that I was looking for, all right? And uh, the thing about being an a member of something is totally different than being an active member. You can be a part of it and be a member, Brother Andy. Uh, but service distinguishes being an active member. 
Uh, if you're a part of a shooting club, but you never go and participate in the work days, you never go hang up new targets, uh, you don't participate in the cleanup or anything like that, uh, and you never even go to shoot. You're a member and you may pay your dues, but you're not an active member. It's very similar to being a part of a church and being Christ's disciple. Two different things that sound alike but are very different. In Acts chapter 14, we see where Jesus teaches really who his disciples will be, uh, what it means to be a disciple. And to be a disciple is so much more than just coming to church. To be a disciple, we must be willing to obey his commands. We must be willing to follow through with the instruction uh, that he gives to us. And in Luke chapter 14, a large crowd had begun to follow Jesus. Uh, This was really uh, kind of at the beginning part of his ministry. And his popularity had grown because he had started healing the sick. He had started healing the lame. They were starting to see the miracles. And so all of a sudden, everywhere Jesus is, uh, the crowd begins to form. People want to be healed. They know that he's performing miracles, and, and so they want to follow after him. But as the crowd follows, it's obvious that they're not following him for the right reason. They're there for their own reasons, for their own goods. And that's where Jesus turns around in the passage we're going to read and uh, begins to speak with them. Now, before we read this, I do want to preface it with this thought that just because a person was traveling with Jesus, it did not mean that they wanted to become one of Jesus' disciples. Just because they were following along behind him didn't necessarily mean that they wanted to be one of his disciples. We'll explain a little bit more of that and how that applies to us. But in Luke chapter 14, verse number 25, the Bible says this, And there, were, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first And consulteth whether he be with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he uh, sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. uh, peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith uh, shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus gives very clear instructions. It's obvious in this passage, instructions on what it takes to be his disciple. Uh, And he does it by telling you what you can't be. He says, in order to be my disciple, these are the things that you cannot do. And he goes through the list of things that you cannot do if you're going to be his disciple. Now, obviously, when we have a discussion or talk at all about being Christ's disciple... It assumes a relationship that already exists. We're going to talk tonight about being his disciple. 
But it doesn't happen until you have already begun a salvation relationship with Christ. Do you know for sure that Christ is your Savior? That your home is an eternity in heaven? And if not, then the following is irrelevant. What you need to focus on tonight is getting that settled. Knowing for sure. And the Bible is very clear that we all can know for sure. We don't have to doubt that. We can know that we have eternal life. And uh, we'll be glad to show you that from God's Word this evening. But under that assumption, we'll continue this message this evening, that you've already begun that salvation relationship with Christ. A disciple is somebody who is willing in his life to make no demands. A disciple is somebody who is willing to claim no rights. Totally willing, totally available, totally confident, and totally obedient in his master. That is a disciple. And tonight, I want to perform a litmus test. A litmus test is a a test performed in chemistry to determine the acidity or the alkaline nature of a content, a chemical, whatever it may be. It's a very decisive test. It's either alkaline or acidic. They perform the test, the result is accurate, and that's what it is. There's no arguing with it. The litmus test is what it is. We use it today... Uh, in reference to politicians, they go through a litmus test to see if they qualify to run for office. And wh- how they answer those questions determine whether they're qualified or not. It's decisive. Tonight, I want to ask us four questions. And these four questions really are a litmus test to decide whether or not we are a disciple of Christ or simply uh, just a follower. Somebody, somebody who's traveling along, attending church, but not really a member, an active member of the body. So the first question that I would ask you tonight is found in verse number 26, where it says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The first question I would ask this evening is, where's your loyalty? Where is your loyalty? Jesus wants us to place him above our closest relationships. And the challenge in this verse from Jesus was not a challenge to hate. He was not calling his disciples to actively hate, to uh, practically apply. You must hate your mother, you must hate your father, you must hate your brothers and your sisters. That's not what the challenge was. Uh, The challenge was to understand that there's opposition from family. And I'd be willing to overcome all that opposition in order to do what was right. That the closest person to me, the challenge is that the closest person to me cannot hold me back from being obedient. As in, I am totally willing, totally available, and totally obedient, an attribute of a disciple. And so he says here, if you're going to be my disciple, there can be no one in your life that could hold you back. I don't know who that person would be for you. And, and I think Jesus just makes a blanket statement to make sure he's got everybody covered. He says, he lists everybody. Mother, father, brother, sister, yea, even yourself. Even yourself. Would you hold yourself back? Is there something that you're not willing to give up or to let go of in order to be a disciple of Christ? A parallel passage to Luke chapter 14 is Mark chapter 3, and 
And Mark chapter 3 gives a little bit different details about what's going on. Uh, but it, be, it also talks about this, um, Jesus, the beginning of his earthly ministry. It's not parallel to this exact story. It's uh, parallel in the beginning of his ministry. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it describes how some of Jesus' closest family and friends responded when he started to perform his earthly ministry. Jesus went out and the crowds were following him and he's healing the sick and the lame and he's even sitting down and eating with the publicans and the Pharisees are already on his case uh, trying to figure out how they can kill him. And so here he is and his family comes and they see everybody just jumping all over him. They're all over him. There's, there's crowds thronging to him. The Pharisees are trying to figure out how to get rid of him. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, And when his friends heard of it, they went out and laid hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Here's Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Je- Jesus Christ performing miracles, doing things that nobody had ever seen before. The, the amazing I mean, I don't even think we can really comprehend seeing a man who had a droopy hand, had been that way from birth, you know, carrying his hand around his whole life, no control of it, and Jesus walks up to him and says, be healed, and his hand is perfectly fine. I mean, that's what's going on in this story. People are freaking out, and here comes his family. He's doing his father's work, and here comes his family laying hold of him, laying hold on him, saying what? You've lost your mind. Jesus, what? You're going crazy. What are you doing? And they try to pull him out of this. And later on, a couple verses in Mark chapter 32, just 12 verses further down, he says to those that were sitting around him, he said, Behold thy mother and thy brethren. Well, the crowd said this to him. They said, Behold thy mother and thy brethren. Without they seek for thee. So his family couldn't get close enough to him. And the crowd begins to say, Hey, your family's outside. They want, to, they want you to come out. They want you to stop what you're doing. And he answered and said to them, saying, Who is my mother and my brethren? And he looked around about them, which sat about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. He's saying, Hey, they're not any more important than you. Because... Being in here with you right now is the right thing for me to do. And my family, who is my mother, my brother, my sister, or whoever's out there trying to hold me back, they're not going to stop me from being in here with you because this is where I should be. Where's your loyalty lie? These large crowds that were traveling with Jesus uh, were there, as we mentioned, because they had seen him perform these great miracles. And Jesus turns around to them, the people who were following him just because of what they could get out of it. Just because of what they could get out of it. He turns around to them and he gives them this very emotional and direct challenge. You've got to hate. You've got to be willing to hate your closest loved ones in order to be my disciple. Do you realize that following after me as you're doing, this is not just, you just can't be a leech. You just can't follow along and expect to receive everything that I'm doing. It's going to take something. Where's your loyalty lie? Are you willing to do that? Tonight, the question is, where is your loyalty lie? Remember, this is the litmus test. This is the test to say, okay, is there something that could stop me, that could hold me back from being Christ's disciple? And I know that none of us have been put to the test. None of us that are in this room have been put to the test as to a 
one of our children being at the end of a gun by some religious terrorist. And an ultimatum being put to us saying, hey, you will deny Christ or I will shoot your child in the head. I realize that none of us in this room have been put in that scenario. That's a very, a very brutal scenario for us to even imagine. And we can all trust and hope that we would do the right thing. But a more subtle application of where, do your, where does your loyalty lie would be in the stress of day-to-day living. Working, making ends meet, being tempted to cut out church activities in order to do that. Being tempted to remove your Bible reading in order to do that. Being tempted in order to cut out your prayer time in order to make that ends meet. To get rid of the soul winning in order to make that ends meet. That's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our loyalties. Because most of the time we have a choice in those scenarios. And how do we choose? When it becomes priority. Providing for your family, noble. It's an infidel if you don't do it, right? This is what the Word of God says. But you don't provide by your, for your family by working 400 hours a week. God provides for your family by you being obedient. That's what He promised, is it not? It is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what, shall, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? There's more to life than this. Than what you can earn or what you can put in your stomach. And the passage goes on the next ten verses describing how insignificant material gain is and how significant eternal gain is. And that if we will simply be His disciple, He will provide for our needs. Where does our loyalties lie? Do we make the decision of this world over top of Christ? Because it's a definitive response if that's a yes. (laughs) You are not his disciple. I am not his disciple. In that moment that I choose to pick that, the thing, over him, I have pulled myself out of the running. I have removed myself from being his disciple. There was a passage in scripture in Mark chapter 10 of a rich young ruler. We're all very familiar with it. And this rich young ruler wants to be Christ's disciple, does he not? And he comes to him and says, hey, what is it going to take? And he says, and he gives through the list of all the good deeds and things that he's got to do. And the, the guy says, done, no problem. One last thing, you need to sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, then you can be my disciple. And he went away depressed, sad, rejected, downhearted. Why? Because his loyalty was not with Christ. It was with his possessions. It was with his things. Where's your loyalty lie? Second question this evening is, will you let me lead your life? Will you let me lead your life? In verse number 27 Luke chapter 14, verse number 27, it says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's two key words in this phrase, and those key words, or this verse, and those key words are cross and me. Cross and me. 
The cross represents death, and we'll describe that in a minute here, but the following, who we are to follow, is represented by the me. It's the me who determines your direction. It's the me who determines your, your direction. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I know that there are times of struggle in life or difficulty where somebody might say, it's my cross to bear. It's my cross to bear. And that's really uh, not a true statement. We're referring to a burden in this life, but the cross to the Christian is, is not a picture of a burden. Nowhere in Scripture, when you see cross, should it be associated with a burden. Take up your cross is not to take on Christ's burden in your life. We know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not a burden that you're lifting on yourself. To bear your cross is not to get yourself under a great load. And I know for us today, we picture the cross, and for the most part, it's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of grace, of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on that cross. But in its day, the cross was a, a symbol, a picture of the most... Uh, gruesome death that could be done and as jesus walked down that via della rosa as he walked uh, the way to the cross the way to calvary and he ascended that hill uh, that cross that was being drugged by him or or simon was not a picture of a burden to be born it was a picture of a gruesome death people who knew who saw jesus walking down that street did not think oh my what a heavy burden he's carrying no it was what a gruesome death this man is about to experience and for us to, to take up our cross, to bear our cross, is not to carry a burden. It's simply to realize that we must die like Christ. But it's not just a challenge to die. Uh, the, the phrase is, or the, the, the statement here is not to take up your cross and stop there. It's to take up your cross and come after me. To come after me. Galatians 2 in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. I've died. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My death was just of my will. My death was just of my desires. My death was simply a death of what I want in my life. And I have now transferred my desire for control to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to follow him. That's where the me comes in. Will you let me lead your life? Because you cannot be his disciple if you want to be in control. You cannot be his disciple if you the whole time are trying to tell him where to go. Who hates a backseat driver? Yeah. We all hate a backseat driver or a passenger seat driver. <laughs> all right? The person who flinches every time you come to a stoplight and grabbing on the handlebar. and you know, That person. Don't be that person. No. But we all hate that person, the backseat driver. And that's how we want to live our Christian lives. Jesus, take the wheel, but I'm going to him and haul the whole way. I'm going to sit here in the passenger seat or behind you. Sure, I'll follow you. Sure, I'll die daily. But I really don't want you to get the lead, take the lead, to give me direction. Are you willing to let him lead your life? Now, obviously, the way that Jesus leads our lives is through his word. And so the question is, am I willing to obey? 
Am I willing to follow through with what he tells me to do? Every disciple must ask and answer this question for themselves. Every individual. It cannot be decided for you. Your parents can't force it upon you. You don't earn the answer through your life. It's a decision that you have to make. That I will let him lead my life. Or I will not let him lead my life. But it's a decision that is very, uh, very distinctly made. We might call it surrender. But it is the decision to say, I will not just die to myself. I will follow you. I will follow you. Wherever you lead me, I will follow you. There's one thing that's very true about a person who is hanging on a cross. There's an obvious truth to it. And the truth is that that person has no future plans. No, none. No future plans. Can you imagine one of the disciples, uh, one, of the, one of the thieves who accompanied Jesus to the cross on either side of him, you know, maybe leaning over in front of Jesus over to the other guy uh, on the opposite side of Christ and say, hey, what you doing later? What you got planned for the evening? What, what you going to have for dinner when you get home? <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In, in a very humorous gesture, we can very solemnly contemplate the fact of how horribly true that is in our life. That a lot of times we say that we'll die daily. And our spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so when it comes time to follow through with, hey, my child, I want you to come this direction, I don't know if I can do that. Or actively you've decided, that's just too hard for me. There are many people who've decided that soul winning is just too difficult, so you won't do it. That tithing is giving too much of my hard-earned money, so I just won't do it. That my time is too valuable and I'd rather sleep or I'd rather this or that so you don't read the Word of God. Whatever it may be, they're, they're the basics. That's why they're mentioned all the time. But what is it for you? What is the thing that you decide on that say, I'm not going to follow you there? Is it some sort of separation? Maybe an entertainment dress I'm, I'm, just, I'm not comfortable going there with you I'll go everywhere else I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go as a missionary I'll go here, I'll go there You'll do anything. I'll do anything Lord but that one thing you cannot what, does Jesus say okay well then maybe you can be my disciple then we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll evaluate it on an individual basis I'll, just, I'll determine if your heart is really genuine and, and if you really want to please me and, uh, and then that's just the one area that you really struggle with. We'll reevaluate and see if you can be my disciple. No, that's not what Jesus Christ said at all. He listed individual areas and said you can do them or not do them. But if you won't do them, you cannot be my disciple. I've been asked the question before about Individuals and somebody will come up to me and preface it and say, "This is the this is the one of the greatest Christians I know," but they don't do this, and it's something contrary to the Word of God. You say, "How can that be?" 
Well, I don't know everything. I wouldn't pretend to. But what I do know is they cannot be his disciple. I do know that, not because I've some genius and come to this conclusion out of great study. No, I read a verse. And God said, you cannot. You cannot be my disciple. If you will not take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So what's the question? Or what's the answer tonight for you? Will you let me lead your life? Jesus Christ speaking, will you let me lead your life? Question number three. Do you understand the cost? Do you understand the cost? In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he goes on to give uh, a military example as well. And preparing an army and deciding whether or not you can go against a 20,000-man army with a 10,000-man army yourself. Whether you're going to win that battle. But both of these, these, uh, these illustrations are, are applicable to that day. You were either, <laughs> you were either a, a, a businessman, a farmer. You had to take care of your buildings and build barns and do all of those things. Or you were in the military. That was the two ways of life. And so Jesus gave two illustrations that applied to them. But today... Do you understand the cost? And it could be not just a financial cost, and that's the illustrations that he here uses here. It could be the cost of a, a human relationship. It may be the cost of every human relationship. It could be the cost of your future plans or desires, what you would want to see in the future. I don't know what it is. What will it cost you? For every one of us, it'll cost us something different. It'll cost us different. For the most part, we can all check off that it's going to cost us our pride. That we're going to have to be humble. But in this question of what kind of man doesn't count the cost, do you understand the cost? The question of do you understand the cost, Jesus is not simply looking for, uh, yes, Lord, I understand the cost. I believe with my whole heart that as Jesus asked this question to the followers, the followers who were coming after him, it was not simply just for a, yes, Lord, I, I understand the cost. He was looking to be convinced. He was looking to be convinced of the answer. Really, to convince somebody, it's not just words, Right? It's, it's lifestyle. It's example. It's the way that you lead your life. That's how you demonstrate to Christ. That's how you answer this question. Do you understand the cost? Because a lot of times as Christians, we go through as though there is no cost to us. That we can be everything that Christ wants us to be and everything the world demands of us. But there is a cost to being a Christian. And the cost... It isn't just that we go through our lives and uh, we decide we're going to sacrifice the overtime in order to be at church. I'm not, it's not just a financial cost. It's what it will cost you in a daily walk with the Lord. It may be a relationship. I mentioned already a human relationship. Maybe that person 
that family member, maybe prior to your salvation, you were the closest to that person, than, you were closer to that person than anyone else. But then salvation came into your life and you realized that you no longer could party maybe the way that you used to or the alcohol just it wasn't going to be a part of your life and it is a part of theirs. And so now when you're around them, it's awkward. It's weird. It, it may be conversation. I, I don't know what it is. That's just one example. But it's going to cost you something. It may be snide remarks from a neighbor about the way that you get your family all dressed up and pack them in the van and you're such a cult. You know, take them to church every weekend and you're brainwashing your kids. It may be the pressures that you face from uh, co-workers who would seek to influence you to do what they deem to be right. And you have to put up with that. Deal with it. Take a stand. Show them, hey, I understand what this walk and this life means. And there's nothing that you can tempt me with that outweighs the benefit of being Christ's child. But what is the cost? Do you understand it? The question that he asked his disciples, do you understand that there's a cost? And don't just tell me yes. Yes, Lord, I understand the cost. Here I come. I want to be your disciple. No. Every single day, the way that you talk, the way that you interact, the way that you live, demonstrate, convince me that you understand there's a cost and you're willing to pay it. You're willing to put out whatever it will take in order to be his disciple. Remember again, if you don't understand the cost, you cannot be his disciple. Cannot. So are you willing to pay? And finally tonight, the fourth question. It's found in verse number 34. And it says, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? The fourth question tonight that would determine whether or not you are his disciple is, who are you influencing? Who are you influencing? A true follower of Jesus Christ influences other people. This, I think, is probably out of all of these tests, these litmus tests that we're taking tonight, these four questions, this is the most basic, the most obvious, and for the most part, it's the one that we can all judge kind of each other by, your fruit. Your fruit. What's to show for being his disciple? Because if you are his disciple, there will be something. You ever dumped some salt on your meal and this lid wasn't screwed on quite right? Maybe your kid did to you. Your kid did it to you on a purpose, or maybe it was a teenager. I've had that before. Unscrew the lid all the way, just so it's sitting on top. You go to salt something, and you get a whole bottle of salt on your meal. You know it's there. You know it's there. And if you were blind and you didn't realize you put it on that first bite, you would know, wow, I just oversalted this dish. It'd be obvious. And that's the illustration that Christ used to describe what our witness should be. You are salt. But if salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? If you want to be my disciple, where's your influence? Are you influencing people for Christ? It's so basic. But there's a very sad truth in this verse. The question is obvious to us, and do I have flavor still? 
but what's implied is often overlooked, that I can lose my flavor, that I can actually lose my influence. I know we look at the fact that we are to be salt, but it's worse than that. You can lose your influence. I think we've all heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it. We refer to our memory, things that we've learned. But the Christian witness is the same way. If you don't use it, you will lose it. Because by not using it, you're going to have to go along with the flow. You're going to have to go along with the crowd. And despite what you say after that, they're going to be, okay, if some of your coworkers have some pornographic pictures, and they say, hey, come look at this. And you go over there and you look at that picture with them. Where do you think your credibility went for Christ? You're at work and some ladies are talking some gossip. Talking about some people or talking about their husbands or the boyfriend or what they did. And you go over there and you chime in the conversation. Just being a good co-worker, just getting along with people, you know. Where, where's your credibility going? It's going right down the drain. Because now you've participated, you've gone along with. Maybe you don't even ever say anything in those conversations, but you just sit there while it's going on. It's the same impact. The same thing is happening to you. Your influence is being lost. Your salt is losing its savor. And it's good for nothing at that point. Be cast out into the field. It's worthless. In order to be a disciple of Christ, you have to be influencing people for Christ. And I'm not, it's very clear here that a disciple is not just somebody who's leading people to the Lord. That's part of your influence. But you can lead a stranger to the Lord and be the worst sinner in the world. But you cannot disciple a Christian and be the worst sinner in the world. You can't. Because they see how you live. They see how you act. And they're going to follow that example. And you may lose your savor. So maybe it's a friend that you know who claims to be a Christian, but there's no growth in their life. Are you influencing them? Or do you simply say they're just not like me? They're just a different kind of Christian. Isn't that, we run into Christians all over the place. But are they being obedient to God's word? Are they growing the way that they should grow? That's where disciples' influence comes in. Where we don't just simply sit back and say, oh, they're saved, my work here is done. That's not the Christian's call. It's to take and to disciple and to teach and to train and to help them to grow. And so even though you may have some friend or co-worker, whoever it is that's a Christian, but you never talk about Christ, you never encourage them to grow, you don't use your influence as a disciple of Christ to help them to move along in their relationship with Christ, you too are losing your savor not just because you didn't soul win, it's because you didn't disciple. And so tonight, the Lord asks us a question. He says, you want to be my disciple, then are you influencing people for Christ? These are four simple questions. But as I stated at the beginning, a litmus test. It's decisive. <laughs> questions that you can ask yourself and determine whether you are his disciple. Where's your loyalty? Are you submitting to his leading? Do you understand that there's a cost to be paid? And do you understand you need to influence others? 
how would you answer these questions tonight? As a follow-up question, are you his disciple? Are you his disciple? If you answer yes to all of those, then that's what he's looking for. That's what he wants from your life. And that's what we should be willing to give. It's our reasonable service. Not over-demanding. Not unreasonable. Reasonable. Simple. Are you his disciple? Which of these four questions of discipleship is most relevant to you? I ask you these questions here. Which is most relevant to you? Maybe you are doing these. Maybe one's a weakness. Maybe there's some that you're not doing. I don't know. I want you to answer the questions individually for yourself, but which one is most relevant to you? Does it have to do with your loyalty? Does it have to do with allowing him to lead? Does it have to do with submitting to him, understanding the cost? Does it have to do with being willing to influence others for him? But which one is most relevant to you? Tonight, this week, in your Christian life, I want you to be challenged by these questions to improve those areas, to become his disciple. After all, that ought to be our goal. If you would stand with me this evening. These are four simple questions. It's not complicated, and it's a simple test. How do you answer them? Really, there's no further questioning tonight. Just that. How will you answer them? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, Lord, we do.